Hey, can those of us who are here in person, can we greet our online audience? Would you guys just join me in greeting our online church? Whether you're here in person or whether you're online, I'm really glad to see you this weekend. Thanks for coming and being part of what we're doing here, what God's doing here in our midst. Um, it's really good to see you. I'm excited for this weekend. We're actually wrapping up this series that we have uh, titled Who Me, where we're talking about some things that are true about people like you and people like me, and I'm really glad that we get to participate in this together and get to experience a few things. And so we started this series a couple weeks ago talking about how you and I are deeply and dearly loved by God. And whether you knew that or not, whether you've experienced experiencing that or not, you are, you are deeply and dearly loved by God. And that makes all the difference for, for us, his love in our lives. And last week, we talked about how we, we are, we can be part of something that is just amazing, that's awesome, and that, that's the church. And, and again, just who, me, somebody like me gets to be part of something like this, what God's doing in the world. I'm really excited to talk with you. Today, I wanna talk with you about how you have a greater purpose in your life. And like, I don't know how that makes you feel in this moment, and I don't know how you feel, like how you're fulfilling your purpose in life, but you have a greater purpose in your life. Purpose, meaning, all that's something that we all struggle with. And you know, it kind of different seasons of our lives, the struggle's a little harder than it is maybe at other seasons, but it's something that we all wrestle with about what, what's my purpose, why am I here, am I fulfilling that purpose, is, is this all there is? Is there something more for me than this? Do I have a different contribution to make? And, and we ride a roller coaster sometimes in these things because sometimes it's like, I'm looking for it, I'm looking for it, I think I might know great disappointment in that. And we go up and we go down and we wrestle, we wrestle with this idea and this feeling of our purpose, the meaning for our particular lives. And if you're wrestling with that, if you've wrestled with that, that you're, you're experiencing the human condition. This is something that is, is not unique to you, it's something that we all have in our lives. And I'd like to show you a little bit about where that comes from and then to kind of speak into it a little bit um, from Jesus's perspective for you because you do have a greater purpose in your life. So here's, here's where that struggle with purpose and meaning in our lives comes from. So if we go to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter two, this is the creation account. This is where God has created the earth and everything in it and he has created human beings and he's kind of, this is, this is where we get to see where we came from and this begins to answer some of these really big questions in our life. And so I've just kind of pulled some summary statements for you from this. So the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. So you've probably heard the term before, the Garden of Eden. It's just, it's that place of perfection and beauty. It was the original place that God had planted for his creation, for his people to inhabit and to live. And so he created this garden in the east, the Garden of Eden. And there was a river watering the garden that flowed from Eden. And so he created this garden that was amazing and he watered the garden for the people, and he took Adam, our first parent, our first father, he took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So I don't know if you garden, I don't garden, but if this were my job, like if this was, if this was what I was supposed to do to be placed in a garden, this is the ideal setting, right? I've been placed in, in a garden that God himself has planted and God himself is watering, 
And my work is to tend and to take care of what belongs to God, but I'm just coming alongside of him and I'm doing with him what he's already doing. And so this, is the, this was the job of the first, our first parents was they lived in this garden and they, they tended it on behalf of God and all they did was worked alongside of him and what he was already doing and they got to enjoy and celebrate life as that garden began to grow and bear fruit. And so move a little further into the account in Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, we almost wanted, like in your Bible, you'd almost wanna just draw a, a line between Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three because in Genesis chapter three, everything changes. What changes in Genesis chapter three is when Adam and Eve living in this idyllic garden where their purpose of their life is their relationship with God and walking in obedience to him, with him, and taking care of this garden that he has planted and that he himself is watering and causing everything to grow and they're tending the garden. And then the serpent comes along and gives them the temptation to eat the forbidden fruit and they eat the forbidden fruit and now they have their meeting of accountability with God. They've disobeyed him and he comes to them and God is speaking, he spoke to the serpent and then he speaks to Adam who was first commissioned to tend the garden. And he says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife, remember you listened to your wife, she was the one who was first deceived by the serpent and then she gave the fruit to her husband because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit, food from it all the days of your life. And in that moment, we went from tending a garden, working alongside God in something that he was already doing. We stiff-armed him in that, and we walked away from that, and we, we exchanged tending the garden that God had planted, and God was watering, and God was causing everything to grow. We exchanged tending a garden for painful toil all the days of our lives. And that is why you and I struggle with meaning and purpose in our lives because our first parents and every successive parent right down to you and me, the choices and the decisions that we make in our life, the big choice we have, we have exchanged, tending a garden, working with God, doing the things that he's already doing for what the Bible hangs over, just the phrase painful toil all the days of your life. And again, in that painful toil all the days of your life, we do find some purpose and we do find some meaning, but most of us in, at some point in our lives, and usually it's early when we're just trying to figure some things out, and then it happens again probably a decade, 15 years into that deal when you've, you've been working on some decisions that you made before, and then it happens again at midlife. We have these really big questions that surface in our lives. Is this it? Is, is this what I was made for? Is this the best there is? Is this all there is for me? And after we ride that roller coaster for a little bit, almost maybe, nope, almost maybe, nope, is this all? Most of us, because of where we live and the opportunities that are in front of us, most of us, we, we come to the point where we settle for like, hey, this is good enough. But we've settled and we know that we have settled. We don't know what we walked, we don't know what we, we don't know what we're yearning for, but we know that what we have isn't it, and maybe there comes that moment where you just say, hey, this is, I guess this is the best that it could be. I guess this is, I guess this is the most that life has to offer, 
to me, this is, this is as much purpose, this is as much meaning, this is as much experience as I'm gonna be able to have in my life. This has gotta be good enough. I have really good news for you. If you've ever, if that's ever been your approach, if that's ever been where you've just kind of stopped with the wrestling match that you've been having and looking for purpose and meaning in your life, I've got really good news for you this weekend. You do not have to settle for good enough. You do not have to settle with that restlessness. You do not have to settle with that desire. You don't have to settle for that desire for more in your life, for more meaning and for more purpose. You, there's a better answer for you. And the beauty of this answer is that in Jesus, in Jesus, what God is doing, God is rescuing us from this painful toil, and he is offering us garden work. Jesus is always our rescuer, he's always coming to our rescue, he's always our savior. He comes to us, he rescues us from our sin, he rescues us from meaningless, purposeless lives, he rescues us from this painful toil that we chose. In our first parents, we walked away from him to do our own thing, he rescues us from the painful toil and will rescue us to garden work and giving us the beautiful opportunity to step back into what he created us for, which is to be at work with him in the work he's already doing, to be taking care of the seeds that he's already planting and the seeds and the fruit that he's already watering, the fruit that he wants to bring into, we get to work alongside of him with that. In Jesus, God is always coming to our rescue, and when it comes to purpose and meaning in our lives, he's rescuing us from the painful toil and offering us the opportunity for garden work. And so what I wanna talk with us about this weekend is I wanna talk with us a little bit about what this garden work is. So Jesus, he lays it out for us, a conversation that he has with his followers right before he goes back to heaven. From Jesus, the mission, this, this thing that gives purpose and meaning to your life, to my life, if we're saying yes to Jesus as our savior, if we're saying yes to his love for us, if we're saying yes, being part of something awesome to his church, if you're saying yes to those things, then he has something unique and amazing for you. The mission that Jesus gave to his church is to make disciples, and this making disciples thing is, this is the new garden work. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is, he's risen from the dead and he is giving his instructions to his last followers, or his first followers, and he says to him, he says, hey, listen to this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And he gives them this, this commission to go and make disciples. So, so disciple, it's not a word that you and I use very often. We might hear it in church. I don't know if you'd use it anywhere else. A disciple's a learner. A disciple's a follower. A disciple is somebody who is learning and following someone else so closely that that other person's life is impacting theirs and their life is beginning to look like the person that, is their, that they've chosen to be a disciple of. And so Jesus looks at his first disciples who were his learners, who were his followers, who were people who were walking so closely with him that their lives were starting to look like his life, he looks at them and he says, hey, what you are, go make more of these, go make more of these. And, and so he gave them this opportunity to work with him in what he's already doing. This is a place that he's already at work and it is seed he's already planted and it is a garden he's already watering. He says to his disciples, hey, I want you to go and I want you to participate in this make disciples I want you to go and make disciples. This is, this is the mission that I have for you. And so he tells them to go and make disciples. And in doing that, 
Really, he was asking for one thing. He was asking his followers to introduce other people to him. Right, that, that idea of making disciples, that we can, we can, there are books written on what it is, we can have long talks about it to bring it right down to a sentence. It's introducing people to Jesus. Right? So if, if I'm gonna introduce my friends to Jesus, Jesus takes care of the rest. Because once you meet Jesus, for those of you who've met him and you know, once you meet Jesus, his, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, as soon as you encounter that, this is a guy you wanna know. This is, this is a person that you want to be close to. This is someone you want speaking into your life. Like this, this is somebody you would like to pattern your life after. Once you meet Jesus and begin to see him for who he is in his glory and in his beauty, like this is somebody that you want to know. And so for you and me as people who follow Jesus, we don't have to make something like from scratch and bring something from nothing. What we get to do is we get to introduce people to this Jesus whom we've met, who loves us and who we love and we know in meeting him, everything about my life is different and better. And so this make disciples is simply to, to introduce people to Jesus and that sounds so easy but you and I are natural bent, we bend towards lesser missions. So if the big mission, the where purpose, meaning, fulfillment is found, the big mission is this go make disciples statement that Jesus made. You and I follow in the steps of our first parents. They were given a garden to, to tend and they walked away on their own mission to, to do their own thing. And, and we drift towards lesser missions and and lesser goals and lesser purpose with our lives and kind of in our, in our weakest or our most human moments, we drift towards mission on our own, for our own comfort, for our own ease, for, for all about me and making my life easier, all about mine, making my life, their lives easier and better and what impact that has beyond that, like we don't really worry too much about that. Those are our worst moments. And we get on our little missions to, to do, like with our work. A lot of us love our work, we're passionate about our work, and we do good things at work, and, and work can become a mission that is not the big M mission, becomes a littler mission in our lives. We do a number of things, we drift towards these smaller missions. Even church involvement can drift us towards, and if that surprises you, to say church involvement could drift you towards your own little mission, here's what I see at church. Here's where I drift at church. At church, it's really easy to make yourself really busy with things that you enjoy, with people that are important to you, people you love in your comfort zone, and, and it's really easy for us to gather and be around one another, doing the kinds of things that are fun for us to do, and feel like we are somehow doing the mission thing, but really what we're doing is we're just doing a church thing. And, and everything that Jesus gave to his church, he gave us, he gave us activities, he gave us opportunities, he gave us relationships. Everything Jesus gave to his church, he gave to us so that this make disciples thing happens. And what happens in churches when we get busy doing all the other stuff and it takes up all the time, space, and energy for the make disciples thing, then we're on our own little mission. We've missed the bigger mission of Jesus 
everything that we're supposed to do as people who are part of a church leads to this make disciples thing. And if it doesn't lead to the make disciples thing, what that tells us is these things that we're doing at church, we're doing them wrong. Because we've been given this beautiful mission, this opportunity for purpose and fulfillment in our lives to be the kind of people who follow Jesus and go introduce him to other people in our circles of influence. And so we have this great thing, even in church, we can get on our own little missions. So this mission then that Jesus says to us, he says, go and make disciples. So if you're reading through that word there, so, so I haven't told you this in a while, so if you're newer, you may not know this. I was an English major in college, and I kinda enjoy grammar. So I'm kind of a grammar geek, and I pay attention to those things, and sometimes I mess it up, and sometimes I correct other people, but I enjoy grammar. So this, this, little, this little, little statement here of go and make disciples, it's a lot of fun for grammar geeks. All right? So if you're like me, that word go is a participle with imperatival force. All right, so we're all together on the same page. So so what it is, what Jesus said to his followers, he used a participle, which is an I-N-G word, right? So it's going, but he said it like it's a command. So you've got this idea of going, like as you're going, but like, hey, as you're going. And, and it's hard to put those two things together, and for a lot of years in my life, the, the vagueness of, of that participle with imperatival force, what is he saying here? Is he saying go or is he saying as you're going? The, trying, to, trying to figure that out caused me a lot of stress and anxiety. And now at this stage, there's beauty in that ambiguity. Like there really is, there's beauty in that ambiguity because he, he looks at his followers and he's got, we got different people doing different things on mission for him. And for most of us, for most of us, we really fall into the as you are going mission, right? Because our, we, we do for a living. Like what we do for a living isn't necessarily being a missionary or being a pastor in a church. We have doctors and nurses, medical professional people. We have salespeople. We have people who own their own businesses. Like we, have, we have the whole gamut of people here in our church and in our community, and you go... In your everyday life, you go to a workplace, you go to meet with customers, you go to meet with clients, you go to meet with patients, you go, you go to coworkers, you go, and as you are going, if you're gonna find ultimate purpose and fulfillment in your life, as you are going into the various places where your life and your particular calling take you, as you go, you get to participate in the participle of all of this as you are going, then you get to be involved in making disciples. And, and so many of us, that's our, that's our call from the Lord is this as you are going, we get to be disciple makers that way. Others of us, it's the go, right? It's the imperative, it's the, it's the command piece of this, the go, that you know from the Lord, you know exactly where you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be engaged with. And so it's a, it's a different deal, and it's the, it's the go, but it's not any more important. 
It's these are two different things where some of us get to be as you are going and others of us get to be go. But for all of us, if we're gonna enjoy purpose, meaning, fulfillment in our lives and we're gonna participate in the mission, like garden work, we're gonna participate in the mission of Jesus, go make disciples is our thing. So Jesus has sent his people. That's what this is. This is, this is a commissioning that Jesus places on the lives, not just of his first followers, but on the lives of people like you and me who are saying yes to his love and yes to this thing that we get to be part of. It's amazing, the church. He's sending us. So if we move from Matthew, which records Jesus' great commission at, right before he went back to heaven, we move over to John, the Gospel of John, who recorded for us Jesus' commissioning to his disciples happened a little bit before this, he looks, at, he looks at his disciples, and this is in John chapter 20, verse 21, and Jesus has just risen from the dead, and the disciples are in a room, and Jesus appears to them. He just, out of the blue, he appears to them and kind of freaks them out, which is why the first thing he says is, peace be with you, right? Settle down, guys. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So, so there's this, this mission that he sends his people on, and he says, the way that the Father sent me to earth, that's the way I'm sending you into the world. So I did a little reading, and there are four things that really describe the way that the Father sent Jesus into to earth, and when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, that's how I'm sending you, I think these are important for people like you and me to hold on to. So as you are going or go, whatever the mission that you have from, on our mission, first, the mission is not to condemn, but it's a rescue mission. In John chapter three, the Gospel of John chapter three, these are the verses, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's John three sixteen. The verses right after that, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's a, it's a rescue mission, not a mission of condemnation, not a mission of judgment, but a mission of rescue. The Father sent the Son, the second thing, is not to the healthy, but to the sick. Jesus had conversations with people on numbers of occasions, and they couldn't figure out why he hung out with the people that he hung out with. Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he always with the religious leaders? Why wouldn't he with all the people who were holy? Why isn't he always with the people who had their lives together? And their answer to that is because Jesus didn't come for the people who have their life together, who think they've got it all figured out, who know. He came for the rest of us. He came for those who are broken, who are hurting spiritually. He came for people who, not healthy people, he came for those of us who are sick. And so as we, as we think about how the Father sent the Son, the Son is now sending his people, not to the people who've got it all figured out, not to the people who've got it all together, but to people who are in need. Father sent the Son not to be served, this is, this is still astounding to me, that Jesus, who is the Son of God and God the Son and has been and will be the center point, the focus of worship of heaven, he, he laid all that aside and he came to earth and, and he showed up here and he says, I did not come to be served. His purpose wasn't come, it wasn't for us to, to serve him, instead he came to serve us. He came to serve and to give, and to give his life as a ransom 
for many, and you and I, we can't be a ransom for someone else. That is unique to Jesus as the Son of God, but you and I, as the Father sent Jesus to serve and to give, we are sent as his people to serve and to give to those who we're introducing to him. And then this fourth one, I really am grateful for this too. The Father sent the Son, he didn't send him alone. He sent him together. And, and Jesus knew that the, he was always with the Father, the Father was always with him. The Spirit of God was always, like Jesus knew, the Spirit of God was always in him and with him and he was never alone, he was never on this mission alone. He was, he was part, he's the, part of the Trinity and, and God in his fullness, the three persons of the Trinity came together to minister to us, to meet us at our point of need, to rescue us, to make us into disciples of Jesus. And Jesus sent his followers out. If you, if you read the way he sent his followers out, he always sent them out, he didn't send them out alone, he always sent them out together. And that, that going with somebody else, being in relationship with other people, going together, that was so important. And so none of us are called on a Lone Ranger kind of mission, none of us are called to go by ourselves. In this making disciples thing, this mission that God is giving to us, it's, it's our mission. And we're with each other in this and we're for each other in these things. And so we get the opportunity to be on mission, uh, not alone, but together. So having said all of this, can I make this a little bit more practical for us? Like I'm not gonna tell you exactly what you ought to do, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this a little more practical for you. I wanna give you this, this statement that I'd like you to hold on to and you might need to wrestle with it. Here's the statement. So if you have spiritual life, you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to him, if you said yes to his life and he has given you his life, if you're, if you're a yes person to Jesus, you have spiritual life. If you have spiritual life, you are a spiritual leader. If you have spiritual life, you're a spiritual leader. Now, that's, this is the point where I'm expecting, at least on the inside, some of you who are listening to me are starting to put your hand out. This is, this is the series title, who, me? Yeah, you, if you have spiritual life, you are a spiritual leader. So these verses I've given you on the screen, 1 Peter chapter two, verse five and verse nine. He's writing to Christian people. And what he says to believers in Jesus, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We talked about that a little bit last week. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, you are, you're a priest of God Most High. If, if you are part of the priesthood, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're part of his priesthood, you are, you are a priest of God Most High, and what that means for you is that you are a spiritual leader. Move down a little bit farther into verse nine. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And again, this idea, you are a priest. You're part of a priesthood. We are, we are part of a holy priesthood that offers sacrifices, worship, and praise to God, and we are part of a royal priesthood that declares his name and the glory of his name to to the people who are around us. And so if you have spiritual life, you are a spiritual leader. Now saying yes to that's really, that's a really big yes for some of us. If you have spiritual life, you're a spiritual leader. Now leadership is all about influence. 
Leadership is all about influence, and if you are a spiritual leader, if you are a, if you are a priest of God Most High, you have influence, and what that means is God has given you the ability to impact, to influence the spiritual temperature of every place you are and every relationship you're in. This is not something that comes from you. This is not something that you have because you have it. This is something that God has given to you. He's made you a spiritual leader, and so you have the opportunity to impact and influence the spiritual temperature of every place and every relationship you're in. So as we think through that, like if you just, when you, again, if, you're, if you feel the weight of that falling on you, because it feels a little weighty, right? There's, when you hear about priesthood and you think about leadership, and that puts a little weight on our shoulders when you think about that, how does this play out in my life? So let me give you three words. This really is, this is a three-word strategy, I think, for how spiritual leadership can play out in your life, how it looks, especially if this feels intimidating to you. So the first word, and these all rhyme, I remember them. The first word is, is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is talking with your heavenly father. Right? You, are on, you are on his mission. He sent Jesus on it, Jesus is sending you on it. So, so spending time with him, talking with your heavenly father, being in relationship with him, praying, praying about what the weight you're feeling of this, your fears, your anxieties, your excitement about it, praying for people that you know that are in your circles of influence that you'd really like to introduce to Jesus, whatever comes in your heart and in your mind as you think about this one mission that God has given you where purpose and significance are gonna make themselves gonna land in your life, like that is, a, that is a subject for prayer and conversation with your Heavenly Father. And to speak to him about that and let him speak to you, to speak into what you're experiencing as you're, as you're processing this idea of what does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to be somebody who makes disciples? What, is it, what does that mean in my life to do this new garden work with Jesus? And so prayer is the first thing. Care. This mission that we're on is about other people. It's about other people. And so care for them. And, and this, is, this is care in, like at the very base level of be nice, right? It's care in that way. But it's also caring for people and caring about what's happening in their heart and caring about the things that are, if it's important to them, it could be important to you. And, and if it's important to you, then it begins to find its way into your prayer life on their behalf. And so there's prayer that's involved and then there's caring for other people. And the ways that that expresses itself through me, the way it expresses itself through you might look totally different. But when you care, people know. And, and then you have great opportunities to invest further in their lives. So praying, so prayer, care, and then that last one is share. And you think, well, share what? Well, share your life, right? Share, share who you are, share who God's making you to be, share what you think about particular things. Like share, share your stuff, share your time, share your willingness, share where God's at work in your life, share what you're experiencing in him, share where you know he's done something for you, share that with somebody even if you're not sure how they're gonna respond to that. That share piece is about being transparent with your faith in Jesus. Because remember, you're, you're a follower of him, like you're his disciple, and, and he has impacted you to the point where you're wanting your life to look more and more like his, and so as you're getting the opportunity to speak his life into other people, just to be transparent about what what that's going on in, in their lives, in your life too. And so we get this opportunity to share. And this prayer, care, share strategy, what this does 
is this brings, this brings spiritual warmth into a relationship, brings spiritual life and spiritual light into relationship and, and gives people an opportunity to see and meet Jesus. Because if, if you can introduce them to Jesus, that he'll take care, he'll take care of the rest. And so, so you, my friend, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have spiritual life, you are a spiritual leader. And, and so, as a spiritual leader, if you let yourself get distracted by these smaller, lesser missions, you totally miss out. You totally miss out on, on what God has created you to do and who he's created you to be. All right, so to wrap all this up, because again, this, this idea of being a spiritual leader, of being somebody who makes disciples, of being somebody who introduces other people to Jesus, of being somebody who's transparent about their spiritual life and what God's doing in your life, being that kind of a person, if, if that hits you the way it hits me and it kind of gives me the willies, it's, it, stir, it, stirs, it stirs fear, it stirs some anxiousness in my life, it stirs a whole lot of what ifs and maybes, and, and really me, right? Because, I mean, I know me, and that God would, somebody like me, would, he would want some, to do something like that. If, if this hits you in that way at all, let me show you this last verse, and this is where I want us to wrap up, because this is, this is the beautiful thing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven, the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy whose, whose ministry to this point was characterized by by insecurity and having to battle through fear. He looks, he writes, he writes this young guy who, who's constantly asking the question, who, me? And he says this to him, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. And so you, my friend, as a believer in Jesus, are a spiritual leader, not because you're a spiritual leader, but because God has made you so. And he did not give you a spirit that leads you into timidity and fear. He gave you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline so that you can be who he's called you to be and you can do what he's calling you to do and you can enjoy the purpose and meaning and significance that comes only when we're working with and alongside him. So I wanna pray that for you. You guys bow your head and close your eyes with me. So Heavenly Father, would you continue to rescue us from those smaller missions? As your people, we wanna walk in your way. And we are really grateful that you sent Jesus to us and somebody introduced us to him. And so we're saying yes to his love and to this amazing thing, your church, that we get to be part of. And we're gonna say yes to this mission that he is sending us on. So I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for my friends who are part of this service that we would be aware of your spirit who does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline so that we can live and love the way Jesus did and does. So thank you for including us in your work and in your mission. Jesus, this awesome opportunity comes to us through you. So we pray these things in your name, amen.